I want to welcome you to day three of week three of our look through First and Second Samuel. We're looking at chapter 15 today. Yesterday, we looked at Saul's first major sin, his selfish sacrifice. Today, we're going to look at his second major sin in this chapter. This is his selfish success. He selfishly did some good things, and these were these major areas of sin in his life. Both seemed to be good things, but they were done in dependence on self and not on God. And for a leader, that is the greatest temptation in sin. Saul's selfish success. Listen to what happened beginning in verse 1. First 1 through 3, Samuel said to Saul, here was the direction, I am the one the Lord sent to appoint you as king over the people of Israel. So listen now to the message from the Lord. This is what the Lord Almighty says. I will punish the Amalekites for what they did to Israel when they waylaid them as they came up from Egypt. Now go and attack the Amalekites and totally destroy everything that belongs to them. And he goes on to say, totally destroy all of them. So what what does Samuel do? Beginning in verse 8, he took Agag, king of the Amalekites, alive. And all his people he totally destroyed with the sword. But Saul and the army spared Agag and the best of the sheep and the cattle, the fat calves and the lambs, everything that was good. These they were unwilling to destroy completely, but everything that was despised and weak, they totally destroyed. Then the word of the Lord came to Samuel. I am grieved that I have made Saul king because he's turned away from me and has not carried out my instructions. Samuel was troubled and he cried out to the Lord all that night. Here's the second major sin in Saul's life. And the attitude behind this sin, we're going to look at attitude, excuses, and consequences here too. The attitude here was, I've got a better idea. God has an idea. I got a better idea. God told Saul to utterly destroy. So it seemed so much better though to Saul to keep the best. So he destroyed only what he thought was the worthless thing. Trying to outreason God inevitably leads to a troubled heart. I have to admit, many of us do this even with these passages because we didn't live in this time. We don't understand the battles that went on. We don't understand why God would allow a nation to actually totally wipe out another nation. It doesn't fit with the message of Jesus to us. And so we begin to question God. We begin to think, God, I've got a better idea. If I'd been God, I would have done it in this way. But the truth of the matter is, I can trust God. God is a God of love. And if he allowed this to happen, there were reasons for it that are beyond what I can understand. Now, back to Saul, back to his sin. He thinks he's got a better idea. And so because of that, he decides to go his own way. This was actually, this passage of Scripture, one of the first passages of Scripture that I taught as a young pastor, some some 40 years ago. I've got all my sermons numbered, and and then thousands of sermons now, this is number five, the fifth sermon I ever spoke. And I realize how important a message it is to me because I realize how easily I can try to outreason God make my idea more important than his command. That's the sin. God, I've got a better idea. And God's command always outweighs my idea because God knows more than I would ever know. Now, Saul immediately, like he did with the sin yesterday that we looked at, he immediately goes into excuses for the sin. And that's where we learn the most about our own troubled hearts and what keeps them troubled. These are the things that I have to overcome. The excuses for the sin he has here are very common in our human nature. First thing he does is he spiritualizes his sin. He spiritualizes it. Verse 13, when Samuel reached him, Saul said, the Lord bless you, I've carried out the Lord's instructions. But Samuel said, what then is this bleeding of sheep in my ears? What is this lowing of cattle that I hear? 
Saul answered, the soldiers brought them from the Amalekites. They, they spared the best of the sheep and the cattle to sacrifice to the Lord your God, but we totally destroyed the rest. We took the best. Here's the excuse. He spiritualizes it. We took the best, but we did it to sacrifice it to God. And we do the same thing today with the sacrifices that God asks us to make. We spiritualize it. We do it with things like money. God, if I, if I give this money to you, that means that you will love me. That means that you'll take me to heaven. That means that you'll forgive me. Or more commonly, if I give this money to me to you, that means you will bless me in ways that I want to be blessed. Now, God owns it all. He doesn't need our money. He merely gives us the privilege of sharing in the ministry of his blessings by giving. And he does bless us in return many times. He promises us to do that. But when I start to try to manipulate God with the giving of my money, when I start to spiritualize it and think somehow my selfishness is a spiritual thing, I've gotten in trouble. That's a troubled heart. When God becomes a way to get my selfish desires met, that's a troubled heart. We can do it with our money. We can do it with our time. You know, if I spend more time reading the Bible this week, if I spend more time serving people, then God has to do this for me. He has to give me what I want. Instead, I should just thank him for the privilege of serving him, of living, of life, of being able to serve him. We think sometimes that it is our sacrifice that causes God to bless us. But Samuel teaches Saul here, it's not the sacrifice that's important, it's the heart that's important. It's depending on Jesus that's important for you and I. When you spiritualize your sin, you find yourself saying things like, well, but it turned out for the best. I know what I did was wrong, but it turned out for the best. We can use these animals for sacrifice. We can use these money. I I know I shouldn't have earned this money this way, but we can use this money to serve God. I know I shouldn't have said that thing. I know I shouldn't have committed that sin, but now I've got more of a heart to serve. It's amazing how often we come up with some spiritual flavoring to our sinful actions, and we expect God to somehow bless that. Now, I understand that God blesses us, even in our sin. He loves us. He is gracious to us. But I've got a troubled heart when I allow my selfishness to somehow seem to be a spiritual thing. When I say I feel the Spirit's direction, but the truth of the matter is, it's what I want. Or I give to God out of ill-gotten gains, and I think somehow that means it makes it all okay. You and I, we're never going to change until we admit to ourselves there is no magic trick for changing sinful actions into good results. What I need to do instead is just confess. Say, God, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Forgive me. Now, there's another excuse in Saul's life, and that is the excuse of hiding behind other sins. In verse 20, he says, but I did obey the Lord, Saul says. I went on the mission the Lord assigned me. I completely destroyed the Amalekites, and I brought back Agag, their king. The soldiers took sheep and cattle from the plunder, the best of what was devoted to God, in order to sacrifice unto the Lord your God at Gilgal. So now he's saying the people did it. They did it. The soldiers did it. I was there, but I wasn't involved. Now, he simply lied. He was involved. But the truth of the matter is he was king. He was responsible no matter what. The the pointed finger, it is a dangerous thing. After a while, you begin to believe yourself. It's so easy to allow the actions of others to blind you to the truth about yourself. You will never begin to change as long as you're pointing the finger at others. And the truth is, oftentimes when God convicts you of a sin, the first thing Satan will tempt you to do is to look around for someone else who's committing the same sin, who's not getting punished for it, who's maybe even worse than you are, and you start pointing your finger at them. Get your eyes off of them and get your eyes back on God. 
They did it. That's the second excuse. And then the third excuse is he blames others for his sin. He blames others for the fact that he sinned. He says, they made me do it. Verse 24, Saul says to Samuel, I have sinned. I violated the Lord's command and your instructions. I was afraid of the people. And so I gave in to them. And now I beg you, forgive my sin and come back with me so that I may worship the Lord. He blames others. He says it's peer pressure. He's the king. He's in ultimate control, but he blames others. Teenager students talk about peer pressures of friends that cause them to sin. I, I did it because everybody else was doing it. But all through our lives, we're pressured to keep up materially. And that pressure can cause us, because of some success that we want that somebody else has, that pressure can cause us to turn our back on Christ. Do any of these things, the pressure of others, the need for material things, what other people have, do they make you sin? No. What makes you sin is not even Satan. James 1, 14 and 15 says it's our own lust that makes us sin. It's our own heart that's evil. We have to admit that. Just come to a place and say, it's not them, it's me. It's me. So Saul says, I have sinned, but his confession was insincere. He was trying to use a false confession to get the support of Samuel. Strangely enough, this becomes one of our excuses for sin. We feel guilty, but we never do anything about our guilt. We just feel guilty. You'll never change until you begin to see guilt as a call to change and not just a reason to feel bad about yourself. It's a call to change. That's why God allowed that guilt in your life. So here is Saul struggling with this sin, and the consequences are the same as we saw before, as severe as we saw before. In verse 26, Samuel says to him, I will not go back with you. You have rejected the word of the Lord, and the Lord has rejected you from being king over all Israel. Rejected from being king. Saul lost his purpose. His fatal mistake was that he blamed all the wrong things for his sin. First saying he'd done it to please God, and then saying it was the other guy's fault, and then saying maybe, maybe it was my fault, but other people forced me to do it. He was never able to come to the all-important point of saying, I was wrong. I'm at fault. I need God's forgiveness. Now, why the hesitation? In verse 30, we see that he says, will you go back and honor me? We see that he was so afraid of losing his honor that he would not confess his sin. Nothing changes under the sun. You can miss out. I can miss out on the life that God has for us because of this same fear. Instead of confessing my need for Jesus, Instead of confessing the wrong direction in my life, the sinful choices I've made, I get caught up in wanting to appear honorable to others. And the truth of the matter is my own pride at that moment, my own pride can keep me from living the life that God has for me. It keeps some people from eternity. It keeps some believers from all the blessings that God has for our lives. There's this moment of honesty with ourselves that we're not trying to protect our honor. It's only our own selfish pride. God can help us to live above that, beyond that. He has a different kind of life for us to live, beyond excuses life, the kind of life he's made us for. As we pray together, I just ask you to pray, and maybe to pray a very simple prayer today, just to say, Father, I confess to you this sin. I confess it to you, and I'm willing to be open about it with others, to confess it to one another. Lord, help me to not get so caught up in my own selfish pride that I miss the eternity that you have for me, the life that you have for me. Instead, I come to you, I confess my sin to you, and I depend on you. Help me to live that life before you, I pray. In Jesus' name, 
Amen. Tomorrow, the next couple days, we're going to see how Samuel teaches us to turn failures into successes. Mm -hmm.